begin a new series, and I'm excited about it. The series is Knowing God and His Attributes, and we'll be hanging out on this theme probably the rest of the year, and I'm debating whether to even go into next year. When you start to think about God, how big He is, how great He is, His attributes, where do you stop? It's, you can't exhaust God. This morning's title uh, is something along the lines of introducing our awesome God. I want you to understand to begin with, I didn't sit down and map out this series of sermons on knowing God and His attributes and then sit back and say, okay, I need to write an introduction to this. I sat back and I said, there's no way I can write an introduction to God. So... What I'm going to bring you this morning is God's introduction to himself. And I'm just the vessel. I'm the channel. So turn in your Bibles to page one. What do you find on page one of any book? You find an introduction to the book, to the subject of the book. And that's what we find on page one of this book. We find God's introduction to himself to who he is, and to his work. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. The subject is who? God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, as soon as you start going through Genesis 1, many people get tangled up. You know, I I went fishing a few weeks ago with some of my grandkids, and I hadn't been fishing in a while. And if you haven't been fishing in a while, you know what happens? The line gets tangled up. You know, if you're not good at throwing that rod, it gets tangled around the end. It doesn't throw very good with the little twirls on the end of the rod. And you throw it, and then it's tangled up around the wheel, the the reel there. And it's like, you know, I spent more time fixing the mess than I spent fishing. So I didn't catch fish. I caught fish. A mess, tangled up. A lot of people, when they get into Genesis 1, they get tangled up. And they don't catch the message. And the reason we don't catch the message is because we've been trained. If you're like me, I I grew up through the public schools, tax-funded schools of America. And I was trained not to look at Genesis 1. And if anybody brought up the subject of Genesis 1... There was a case for Darwin presented, and a case for the origin of the species presented, and a case for long days and short days presented. And so I've spent my life getting tangled up in this mess of subjects that aren't in Genesis 1. And I missed the message. And I don't want you to get caught up in all of these things that people want to bring to Genesis 1 that aren't in the text. This is God introducing God to us. Put put on Moses' shoes, or put on Adam and Eve's shoes. When they heard Genesis 1, did they think, well, you know, we need to stop right here and make a case for Darwin. Or we need to stop right here and think about the origin of the species. Now, obviously, Adam and Moses didn't do that. 
Darwin comes so many thousands of years later. When they heard Genesis 1, what did they hear? They're closer to the message that's in this passage. And that's where I want us to get. I want us to get there what God is trying to say so that we catch what's there. In the beginning, God, verse 1, created the heavens and the earth. You know, what's the subject? What's the object? What's the verb? You know this stuff. The subject's God. The subject is not creation. The subject's God himself, and we need to to catch that. What's the subject of most introductions? It's who the who's writing it, who, who it's about. Well, Genesis 1 is about God. How many verses are here? Look down, you see, well, there's 31 verses. God is mentioned in 31 verses. God is mentioned. His, the word God, or the name God, there is there 32 times. If you use pronouns, he's there 41 times. 41 times in 31 verses. How can we miss that? Let me say it in other words. In other words, Genesis 1 is not about the creation of God. It is about the God of creation. 41 times he's introducing himself as doing stuff or being someone. And we need to get the message. It's about God. It's about the God who is creating and is doing so much more in this passage instead of getting all tangled up in different stuff. Let me say it let me say it another way. Look at Romans chapter 1. Share with you just a quick few verses. Romans 1, 20 to 23. Here's our tendency spelled out clearly here. In Romans 1, 20 through 23, says, for since the creation of the world. Okay, that's what we're talking about, right? Genesis 1, 1, for in the beginning God created. Romans 1, verse 20 says, since that time, since the time of God creating, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Like, that's the subject of the beginning is God, his attributes. Since that time, that's been clearly presented, but, middle of verse 20, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. All right, that's enough. Stop there and think. What has been man's problem since the beginning of time? According to Romans 1, what is our problem? And our problem, according to Romans 1, since the beginning of creation, is that we are infatuated with creation. 
And so we miss the message. Though God is the picture, is the big picture, God is the subject, we exchange the subject for our infatuation with creation. And we immediately want to go and talk about creation and miss God. When that's clearly the subject. So again, I say, don't get tangled up in what you're led to go, where you're led to go. That's, you're going to miss the message of the first page of the Bible. Uh, give you an illustration. John Lennon wrote a song not long ago that's become a classic. And some of the text is, imagine there's no heaven above us or hell beneath us. Go back, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens. How can you imagine that there is no heaven? Well, you could only imagine there's no heaven if you have been taught there is no heaven. And if you've grown up in the schools I've grown up in, you have been taught that. And John says in his song, it's not hard to imagine. Well, yeah, it's not hard to imagine there's no heaven. You've been taught there is no heaven. So I, I'm not the only one. And that's what's so sad about the case. But consensus doesn't measure truth. What is the truth? The truth is there is a heaven. In the beginning, God created the heavens. We don't even talk about the creation of the heavens. And that's mentioned first. The subject is God. And we miss his creation of the heavens when we want to get infatuated with ourselves, created things that are on earth. And I don't want you to get there. I want us to really get introduced to the God of the Bible, the subject. We want us to consider it. That, you know, it, it, it really, I've, I've shared this with so many people, you're going to think I've gotten infatuated with it, but it's, I was really struck in graduation ceremonies this year of how far our culture has shifted from God and the, His Word and how offensive Genesis 1 is to my high school which is just down the road, and how if, if I were to stand at my high school graduation and says, I want to read today from Genesis 1, I would be kicked off the stage. If I wanted to pray in Jesus' name, if I wanted to bring up the subject of God, I would be forbidden from doing so. And teachers are forbidden from doing so. So just let me say, it's kind of like an FX show this morning. For mature audiences only. Okay? When you turn to page one of the Bible, you are turning to offensive material. Material our government has said is too 
too explosive, too powerful, too offensive for a normal audience. It's for mature Christian audiences only. That's what you're entering into when you go to page one of the Bible. What have we missed? I want us to see here from Genesis 1, we're missing the dominion of God. We're missing the desires of God. We're missing the devotion God deserves. And you're missing the adoration of God for his dependence. Let's look at Genesis 1 together. Those are some of the things I think this passage presents to us. First of all, he asserts his dominion. When you read Genesis 1 and 2, 1, verses 1 and 2, let me read it. This is what you get. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Well, if you just stop right there, you've pretty much got everything. God created the heavens and the earth. What in the passage is not created? The subject, God. God is never presented to us as something, someone that has a beginning. In the beginning, well, God was already there. But in the beginning of everything we know, and even will know in heaven, God was already there. He is presented to us in this passion as being over everything, and he's over even the beginning. He has a dominion. Look at another passage. Look at Psalm 90. Verse 2, brief summary of that. Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So whatever you consider to be from the past, everlasting past to everlasting future, God was already God. He is over it. He is in control of it. He is existing. He's the only thing without beginning or end. He is, I mean, to say it like we do, to say, well, he was king of his castle or he was in charge. I mean, it just seems small compared to who he is. So much bigger than that. To have no beginning. Well, so what? Well, I think it's a pretty big deal. You, you look at verse 2, so the earth was formless and void and dark. So what? It's a pretty big deal. But, but, but before... The beginning of what we know, heaven and earth, it was just dark. What scares you most? Dark. You know, we talk about dark times, dark alleys, dark thoughts, dark 
soul. Dark night. I mean, so many dark things that scare us because I mean, we can't see what's coming. We can't expect. We, we don't know how to deal with what we can't see and know, and it's just dark. And yet we are introduced to a God who's over the dark, who sees through the dark, who can create in the dark, who can penetrate dark with, with light and goodness and grace and present all that we have, even when everything is dark and without form or shape or pattern. Now, that's a big deal. America is, is going through an anxiety crisis. There's two million cases of di diagnosed cases of anxiety. Uh, I consider anxious people that I talk to highly intelligent realists. I've never met an extremely anxious person that wasn't a very intelligent realist. And what I mean by that is they know there is something, there's really something of which they cannot control. It's either something in them, about them, or in the world, and they, they, they face it really and say, that scares me. Well, it should. We've gone through multiple generations now where we've not been teaching haven't even introduced the subject that God is over, that the, the whole world was out of control. There was nothing but void and formlessness and no pattern, no order. It was just all dark. But God's over that. And God gave shape and pattern and structure and order. He's in charge. Isn't there a God we ignore when we get anxious? Isn't there times where we just really don't get that? That whole concept of God having power and control and there's, there's no darkness to God. You know, God never says in this whole passage, man, I didn't see that coming. We say it all the time. But he's not like that. Even in the darkness he sees. Even when there's stuff out of control, he sees. He knows it, and he knows it well. It's a big deal. Um, you know, we, we've been taught to go through life and say, oh, here's something you control, so this is something you can do, so say, I got this. When in fact, there's lots of things we don't got. And maybe we should be teaching one another to say, you know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And there's a lot about tomorrow that may be very dark, and I could be very anxious. But God's got this. God's got this. God's always had this. God's been very able to get this. And so we're introduced to a God who's got it. A God who's over it in control of it, can manage it, and can manage it well. And not only does God got this, but if he's also got me, see, that changes everything. 
Second, I want you to see in this passage, not only this dominion that God has, I want you to see how he announces his desire. And what I see here is that God gets everything he wants in this passage. You just see that over and over again. You see it with the phrase, and he said. Notice that repeated phrase, and he says, because every time he says something, he says, I, I, I want this to happen, it happens. He gets what he wants. Uh, starts in verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. So there was light. Verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Separate the waters and the earth. So it happened. Verse 9, then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place. And the dry land appeared. It was so. God wanted it. It happens. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees, earth bearing fruit and their kind and the seed in them. And so it was. Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. God says, you know, I want stars. Okay, there's stars. Um, verse 20, then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heaven. So it happened. God said, I don't want just water and land. I want a lot of creatures in the water and land. And it happens. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Cattle, creeping things, and beasts, and the earth after their kind. And it was so. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. and Let him rule. Over the fish. Then God created man, verse 27, in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female and blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply, subdue, and rule. And it was so. You just see it over and over. Whatever God says needs to happen, happens. God gets everything he desires. He never says, Let this happen, and it doesn't happen. It always happens. I don't, I, we, we have never met anyone else that always gets everything they want. doesn't matter how big, how great, how expansive. God always gets his desires. When God said it, it happens. Think about the significance of that. The, the, the significance of speaking words, and it is so. Um, you know, we wonder sometimes why things are the way they are and forget that, well, God gets everything he desires. Why, why is there so much diversity and so much inequality in earth? Well, because God gets what he wants. He wants diversity. He wants a lot of inequality. He wants a lot of differences. He created it that way. Why, why is this male-female attraction something we can't escape and get rid of even though we've tried to manufacture it so many different ways? Why do, do animals, plants reproduce? Well, because God gets what he wants. Why are they attracted to one another? Because God gets what he wants. 
in the human world? Why do boys like girls and girls like boys and reproduce? Why do they want to do that? There's so much trouble and cost and mess with all of that because God gets what he wants. God desires it that way. God's designed it that way. And many times we go against what God wants. How's that going to work out? Because God always gets what he wants. You see, sometimes we we run into a head-on collision with God. That's not going to end well. And yet we will do that over and over just because we haven't thought through what does God want. And so many people who choose suicide, not all do for this reason, but those who choose suicide, many times they choose suicide because they say, I just don't know what my purpose is, what my significance is. I don't know why I'm here. I don't have a reason to go on living. My desires don't seem to be fulfilled. And we have failed them and not teaching them. There, there are desires that always get fulfilled. They're called God's desires, God's plans. There is purpose. There is significance in what God has created. And we need to understand God's purposes and align ourselves with those purposes. They will always find satisfaction. What's God's purpose for us? As a church, what's God's purpose for his people? Very clearly, it's in Ephesians 1, verse 4. Let's read it. Ephesians 1, verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 starts with a a benediction, a song of praise to God because he makes very clear and plain what his purpose is. Verse 3, Romans, excuse me, Ephesians 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And here comes the purpose clause. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Why did God make us? Why did God create us? When Paul figured this out, he he couldn't keep himself from praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. This is a blessing. And on earth that we should be in Christ. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So as he was creating the world, he had this in mind. That we should be created and be holy and be blameless and be before him in love. Wow. God not only is over all, but he has a desire for all. He has purpose for all. His creation is not random acts that evolve or occur through explosive things. His creative acts are very intentional with purpose, with direction that we can know that he explains so that we know what we're to be. We know 
what we're to work on. That's why some theologians say, you know, there's no rest until you rest in God. What they mean is God's planned something that you're going to be restless until you reach this purpose that he's designed for you. We will always be anxious and suicidal if we can't tap into significance, purpose, direction. And God reveals that that's the kind of God he is, a God that provides that for us. He gives us his desire, he gets what he wants, and that changes everything. Third, I want you to see in Genesis, not only does he have dominion over everything, does he get everything he wants, but third, he presents, and you, you hope, I hope you're beginning to see God's the subject here. God is the one in, in charge over everything. God is the one who gets here. And also, I want you to see, God is the one who deserves. God deserves what? He deserves devotion. Seems like most of creation here gets that. A lot of times we rebel against it and go astray, but creation understands that God's in charge uh, beginning at verse 9 says God said let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place let dry land appear then God called the dry land earth I mean you, you kind of get that well earth is devoted to God heaven is devoted to God there's scriptures about that but you begin to see it here uh, verse 21 24 God created the great sea monsters that's where a lot of people get dinosaurs these great monsters that come up out of the sea. Well, that's not all it creates. God created sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw it was good. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, and cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. All of creation begins to see that we are here because of God. What does God want from us? Well, he says it's good. I've, I've created these creatures. It's, it's good. These are good. These are good creatures. When I, when I hear the word monster, I'm thinking uh, not good. But it, even those monsters understood their submission to God, and they were created for that. Give you a couple of verses. Look at Revelation 4:11, and then we'll look at Isaiah. Revelation 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. And then he gives the reason. Because you, were, you created all things, and because of your will they existed. And were created. Why does God deserve praise? Why does he deserve for us to gather here every week. And corporately give him praise? Because he created us. He created every living thing. When you get to heaven. This is the song you sing. You get there and you say worthy. 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 Because none of this exists. Without page one. Without you being God. And forming the earth and the heavens and everything that moves on it. So God deserves devotion and praise. Isaiah 43, verse 7. 
everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for, here's the purpose, why? Why did he create? For my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. God deserves to be understood as glorious, weighty, valuable, because he is created us. He has created us. None of us would be here otherwise. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that we, we give glory, we give praise, we give worship to so many different things. Uh, I've read the verses about God creating the animals on the earth and in the sea and even the great monsters. Uh, we're fast becoming a nation that worships animals. We don't talk about it that way, and yet we are more and more treating animals as more important than people, and we're punishing people for their treatment of animals uh, because we worship animals. There's a church here in Anderson that has uh, encourages congregational members to bring your animals to church, and the animals are prayed over, and the animals are honored. Right here. In Anderson, they've been doing that for years. We worship created things like animals. And, you know, I, I thought astrology was gone. We are a nation that continues to worship sun, moon, and stars. Texas uh, University did a survey. 90% of people under 30 in America know their astrological sign. That's a pretty high number. And you think that's dead? They spend over $200 million a year looking for what's going on by the stars and their sign. Uh, look at verses 14 through 18 of Genesis 1. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Separate the day from the night. Let there be for signs, for seasons, for days, for years. Yeah, the, the, the stuff in the sky controls stuff. It controls light and darkness. It controls days and years. It controls seasons. Verse 15, let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so, and God made two great lights. He made the greater light to govern the day, sun, the lesser light to govern the night. These are creations of God, folks. These are not deities. The animals, they're creations of God. They're, they're not to be worshipped. And, and these, these other things, you know, when you worship stars, when you worship animals, God calls you an idolater. You have created something to worship. That's an idol, a created worship entity. And idolaters, he says, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is serious, that we worship so many created things. And our nation is doing that. Why? We, we have been funding an education that tells them this subject Genesis 1 is forbidden. Don't go there. And since they can't go here, they go and they become idolaters. 
and they miss the true and living God. God is over all. He gets what he wants. He is the one who should be receiving all worship, honor, and praise because he alone is worthy as creator. Fourth, I want you to see verses 26 through 30. God creates us. And he stops in this whole process to explain this creation more than the rest. And then even chapter 2, which I won't get into this morning, he elaborates on the creation of man, male and female. Uh, it's like, okay, I've created all this. Let me show you the pinnacle of my creation. Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. That's a big deal. God, out of all creation wants to have us reflect who he is to be in his image according to our likeness so father son and holy spirit plural he said i I want i want to make a man that reflects that and let them and then he gives us rule rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So he's, he has us in charge of all the earth and all the animals and all the plants and everything. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. Like, don't miss that. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Don't miss that. Where does he say that about the other creation? God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fulfill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish and the sea and of the birds and the sky and every living creature that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which is fruit yielding seed and it shall be food to you and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw that all that he had made, behold, it was very good, and there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Well, quickly, look at Matthew chapter 6. Put it with what we just read. Hopefully this helps you. Matthew uh, chapter 6, Jesus' sermon, beginning at verse 25. It says, for this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life. Catch that? Don't be worried about your life. As to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, they don't reap, they don't gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And he goes on to talk about that. He says, do you not have value? Do you not have significance? Go back to page one. God created the birds. He says like, he takes care of the birds, but what did he create the birds for? He created the birds to give you food. So he's taking care of your food, your birds, and your animals, and your plants, and he's doing all of that to provide for you. And he gives you rule over all of those things why do certain animals as soon as you step foot in the forest why do they run and why do they hire hide because they fear us god created that 
so that they don't attack us. We get to attack them. We have been given them as food and all the plants as food. We, we have the ability to rule over all of that because God designed it so. So we rule. We reproduce. We can reproduce after our kind and continue to rule generation after generation and reflect God's image. No other part of his creation is given this task to to declare his glory, to reflect his image, to rule over everything that he has provided and to um, reproduce. We, we are this part of God's creation that uh, he just adores to take care of. Now, every other religion has it different. Every other religion has man being created to serve the gods, whatever their God is. But God just introduced us to himself. He says, I am creating you, and I want you to see, out of all creation, I am here to serve you. Whoa. You know, see how significant that is? God says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for your plants. I'm going to provide for your animals. I'm going to provide for you because I have you here to reflect me, my image, yes. I have you here perpetually to rule over. I'm going to provide for you. Yes, I still want your worship and praise, but I am here for you. What other God does that? If any of you have read the book, The Help, or seen the movie, you're familiar with that infamous line. It's just got one memorable line everybody in the world knows. You know what it is? You is kind. You is smart. You is important. And the story behind that, if you didn't see the movie or read the book, is this mom had a daughter. I think her name was Mae Mobley. Leaford. And... She was always putting her down. You're no good, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good. You're, you're just whatever. And the maid said, that's wrong. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to make it my mission in life to somehow tell this little girl every day something she's good at to encourage her and build her up. And so you have these several scenes in the, in the movie where, or the book where the maid is saying, you know, Grabbing May Mobley, May Mobley, listen to me. You is kind. Do you get that? You is smart. You know, do you get that? Don't believe all that other stuff. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. Now, there's a message there for us. The message is to see that God has created us with importance, with value with significance. And we are in this culture that doesn't want to encourage that because they don't get it. And even the maid in that book didn't get it because never told May Mobley why she is kind and why she is smart and why she is important. But God tells us in his word, every parent 
Deuteronomy 6 gives you parental advice how to raise your kids. And in that passage, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 begins with, Hear, O Israel, listen to me. There is one God. That's where it starts. That's our message to our kids. Listen to me. Let's start with page one. There is one God. He is the subject of everything else. He is the creator. Listen to me. Get your kids and say, listen to me. There is one God. And this one God has made everything. And you as kind, you as smart, you as important, because this one God is your provision. He is the one who has made you. He is the one who has provided for you. And he is the one who simply adores you. You is made by God. You is provided for by God. And you is greatly adored by God. Listen to me. This is eternal life that you may know the true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's what Jesus told his disciples, John 17. This is eternal life, that you may know the true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Let's pray together. Father, we have been scammed. We've been deceived. We've been led astray. We've been kept from truth. Father, bring us back to page one. Bring us back. Introduce us, we ask, again to who made us and all that you've made. Help us to understand and know eternal life. Father, if there's anyone in this room who feels like they've been deceived and misled all through life, they're not the only one. We have been scammed. We've been infatuated with the wrong things and missed the only true God. Father, reintroduce yourself to us. Make us your people. Draw us to yourself. Let us know Christ, your son, who's died for us, that we might have life and have it for all eternity. For we 